Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are in 1 Kings chapter 19 today, looking at verses 19 to 21. A really brief passage, but nonetheless a very significant passage. Now, when we last left Elijah, God gave him his marching orders, telling him what he was to do next. Remember, Elijah had gone to Mount Carmel, and there on Mount Carmel, God had revealed himself to Elijah and spoken to Elijah. And one of the things he told Elijah was this, in verse 15 and 16, he said, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to Damascus, uh, excuse me, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mecholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Now, in our passage today, we are going to see Elijah fulfill the last part of that command by anointing Elisha to take his place as prophet. All right, so let's look together at verses 19 to 21. It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So Elijah has been given a commission by God, right? These three people that he is supposed to anoint. And we are told, again, in this passage about the anointing, so to speak, of Elisha. There's no mention um, here of him actually being uh, anointed as uh, one commentator pointed out there's no actual anointing going on here, but the idea of anointing, of selecting and setting apart to fulfill a particular role, that's what is happening, what's taking place in this passage. So Elisha, or excuse me, Elijah leaves where he is there at Mount Carmel with the Lord, and he goes and he finds Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And what's Elisha doing? Well, Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. So that's 12 pairs of oxen, 24 oxen, and he's got the 12th, he's coming up in the rear with the 12th yoke of oxen. And the reason why this is significant is because this at least implies, and I, I think it's probably true, that Elisha is very wealthy. Right, or at least comes from wealth. Some, somebody pointed out maybe it's his father's farm. Maybe there depends on how old Elisha is at this point, I suppose. But either Elisha's family or Elisha himself appears to be very wealthy, to be plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, 24 oxen. So he's very well set up, Elisha is, when Elijah approaches him. And what Elijah does, it says, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Now, if somebody did that to you or I, we would probably be thinking, 
what are you doing? You know, is this some kind of joke? Or are you just trying to mess with me? Or what's going on? But Elisha appears to know exactly what Elijah is doing. And we can tell that by the way he responds. We'll look at that later. But Elisha doesn't appear to have any questions or any uncertainty about what this action means, right? It appears to be a, a symbolic moment um, that Elijah and Elisha both understand. And one of the things we have to remember when we're studying the Bible is that there are all kinds of customs and actions and things that make perfect sense to the people in the stories that don't make sense, at least not at first, to us because their culture is different, their practices are different. Uh, one of the examples that comes to mind is at the end of the book of Ruth, when Boaz goes to the city gate uh, to set things up uh, where he can marry Ruth, where he can get all that settled. And it tells us that um, at that time, the manner of attesting things or, or sort of like um, proving that something happened or, or something like that, um, the way of attesting things in Israel at that time was that a man would take off his sandal, right, and give it to the other party. So that seems really strange to us, right? But things that we do today would probably seem really strange to them. So while we read this verse and think, well, why did Elijah throw his cloak on Elisha? What does that mean? Well, that might not make a lot of sense to us, but again, Elisha apparently understood it quite well. And we can figure it out, right? By the way that Elisha responds and by the way... Uh, that uh, by the context, knowing what Elijah is supposed to be doing, we can tell what this means. This appears to be a way of Elijah showing Elisha, signifying to Elisha, you're supposed to come with me now. Perhaps even Elijah's cloak represents his office or his authority, right, as a prophet. And by throwing it on Elijah, he's sort of claiming him for the Lord as the next prophet, right? A way of saying like, you are going to wear this mantle now. You are likewise going to have the authority of a prophet now. Um, maybe that's a little more than how they would have explained it, but I think that fits with what's going on. So uh, Elijah cast this cloak on Elisha, and now look at what happens. How does Elisha respond? Uh, verse 20 says, And he left the oxen, Elisha did, and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. So Elisha knows that what Elijah intends for him to do is to follow him immediately. And so what he's asking is for permission to part with his parents, right? Let me kiss my mother and father. Let me say goodbye to my parents. I know you're asking me to follow you. Give me just a moment to part from them and then I'm ready to go, right? So Elisha, again, understands what's being asked of him, understands what's happening here, and he responds well, right? Let me kiss my mother and father and then I will follow you. And uh he said to him, Elijah said to Elisha, go back again for what have I, uh, for what have I done to you? Now, um, Elijah might mean by that, look, you know, you have the choice of how you're going to respond to this. Um, or, you know, uh, one commentator said, uh, I think something like um, he might just be saying, well, 
I, I'm not preventing you from doing that. Well, why not go ahead and do that? Um, don't know for sure, but uh, either way, Elisha is responding rightly, right, to Elijah's summons. And um, the second part of Elisha's response is in verse 21. He returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So Elisha asked for permission to part from his parents, right? And then he goes back and he takes the yoke of oxen that he'd been driving. Now, not all 12 yoke, right? But just one yoke of oxen here. Um, he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh uh, with the yokes of the oxen. So um, he is offering a sacrifice to the Lord, right? And, um, and I want to share something I read with you because this, I feel like this is really helpful uh, and insightful about what's going on. I've mentioned before Dale Ralph Davis, who's got a, a little commentary on this book. It's super, super helpful. Very, very good. And uh, here's what he says. He says, why did Elisha, Elisha use the oxen's gear for firewood? Right? So that's a really good question. Why, why use the yoke as the wood for the sacrifice? What's the significance of that? And then he quotes somebody else who says, certainly not because there was no other wood at hand, but rather in order to indicate that he gave up forever his previous calling. And then Davis continues and says, and people ate steak to celebrate it. So in other words, what they're saying there is Elisha sacrificing these oxen, but not just sacrificing the oxen, burning the yokes even, is a way of Elisha breaking with his former life, of saying, I recognize that I have been called to follow Elijah. I recognize that I've been called now to a new vocation. God has a new job for me. And so I am leaving this other job behind. And now I am going to pursue this task uh, that God has called me to through his servant, Elijah. So Elisha is responding well. He's responding appropriately. He's responding um, fully and truly, right, to this uh, calling that he's received from Elijah. Now, we can't read this story of Elisha's calling without thinking about the way Jesus himself responded to uh, people who wanted to follow him and the way Jesus talked about what was required to follow him. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, it says, A scribe came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was testing him. Are you really committed? You say you want to follow me, but are you willing to follow me if you don't have a comfortable place to sleep? Right? And I wonder if when Elijah, Elijah says, go back again for what have I done to you? I wonder if he's um, sort of saying to Elisha, look, you know, you count the cost of following me. I, I've signaled to you what I want you to do, but are you willing to do it? 
Are you willing to sacrifice in order to to follow me? Are you willing to, you know, it seems like that might be part of a, of a test similar to how Jesus responds to others. Another uh, instance in Matthew 8, just following right on the first one, it says, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Right, so you need to follow me now, Jesus was saying. You know, don't worry about that. Um, Jesus, of course, is much greater than Elijah, right? And so the, the uh, cost of following Jesus is much greater than just following Elijah. Um, but there's a connection between the two, right? Because Elijah is not asking Elisha merely to follow him. He's calling Elisha to take up the mantle of a prophet and thus to serve the Lord, to speak on behalf of the Lord, to say to people, thus says the Lord, to do whatever God calls upon him to do. Um, and uh, in that same way, right, we are called upon to respond to the Lord Jesus. And again, I'll just say sort of blanket, Dale Ralph Davis's comments on all of this are really really helpful, been helpful to me, and I'm leaning on him in, in the way I'm explaining this, not just from these quotes. Um, when Jesus calls us to follow him, right, then um, that requires full and total commitment, right? We're totally ready to obey him, to do whatever he asks us to do, to give up whatever he asks us to give up. That's what discipleship looks like. Right? And so, as we look at the story of Elisha, and his story will continue, there's going to be some overlap between uh, the stories of Elijah and Elisha for a little while into the beginning of 2 Kings, as we draw near to the end of 1 Kings. There's going to be some overlap there before Elijah departs and Elisha uh, takes up the full mantle, as it were, of Elijah's ministry as a prophet. But as we uh, read about Elisha's initial response, it takes us uh, forward to the Gospels to think about how the different disciples responded when Jesus summoned them, when he called them to come and be fishers of men, when he called them to come and follow him. How did they respond? And it might also cause us to think about how we responded when we um, experienced that call of the Lord to come and, and trust Jesus, to come and and follow Jesus. And uh, it's good for us to be re reminded of that so that we can sort of um, renew in our minds and our hearts and be refreshed in our commitment to follow Jesus, to remind ourselves that we really are and want to be willing to do whatever Jesus calls us to do, to go wherever Jesus calls us to go, to um, follow him no matter what it costs us and knowing that what he has called us to is um, better, right, than anything we could come up with for ourselves. So I hope that this little story of Elisha's call uh, encourages you, challenges you, um, strengthens you in the faith and in your resolve uh, to follow Christ because um, there's nothing worth clinging on to uh, that Jesus would call us to leave behind. Uh, there's nothing that in this world um, that can in any way compare to the greatness of Jesus. And so we want to give ourselves wholly and totally to him because he's worth it. Amen.